Welcome to Ministry Minutes with Mike Milton. This is Mike Milton offering perspectives and insights on the practice of pastoral ministry. This week we will look at eight strategies for a lifelong study of expository preaching. Coming up. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours through Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. On this edition of Ministry Minutes, I'm going to stretch the minutes just a bit because I want to talk about eight essential strategies for lifelong learning in preaching. I've written an article that accompanies this audio and is more in-depth. I hope you have the opportunity to see that at michaelmilton.org. You should be able to find it there. The reason that I want to give this is because of questions that have come to me from several students about lifelong learning. You should know that the D. James Kennedy Institute of Reformed Leadership is going to be constructing a program for lifelong learning. In fact, it is one of the components in reimagining pastoral education and training. Those components are internship, residency, fellowship, and lifelong learning. So this gives me a good opportunity to begin to think about one critical area, and that is preaching. In fact, it's probably the most identifiable ministry of a pastor. And rightly so. Now, I recognize Richard Baxter's concern in the Reformed pastor for the work of the parish. And when I say parish, I mean that field work of visitation, catechizing, evangelism, and other forms of the ministry of presence among your people and in the community. And when I say pulpit, I'm referring to conducting public worship as well as expository preaching of the Word of God. But my attention today is on preaching and on lifelong learning for preaching. I divide the lifelong learning strategy into eight because I advocate eight essential movements within an expository sermon, beginning with reading of scripture and moving to the introduction and the first word and the exegetical statement, the homiletical statement, 
the interrogatory transition with keyword, the argument, which some call the body of the sermon, and the conclusion, or what I prefer to call the closing argument. So, I believe those movements also represent eight strategies for lifelong learning. And let me say just a word or two about each. The public reading of scripture certainly deserves our attention. This is what Timothy told Titus. First of all, give attention to the public reading of scripture. Now that is going to mean that you not only read uh, about elocution, you not only read about the movement of the text and find helpful text to support you, but you also listen. If, for instance, you subscribe to uh, the Anglican Church in North America lectionary, you will have a fine reading there. In fact, I prefer that particular reading. It's of the English Standard Version. I, I prefer it over some of the more dramatic readings. And this is why. The minister is cutting a fine line between a dramatic reading, and by that I mean using um, an excessive amount of affect uh, to express or dramatize the text. The minister employs some, but to get into drama uh, would be to diminish uh, the work that you have. On the other hand, a dry, cold reading, an almost automated reading, uh, is uh, equally distasteful and ineffective. There is a pastoral reading. The pastoral reading uses voice uh, and a slight effect to the voice to differentiate between the voices in a narrative, but does so with the larger view of communicating uh, the Word of God rather than merely dramatizing it. Now, you can read about that, but you can also listen, as I say, and that's one place to listen. It's a middle, uh, a middle road uh, pronunciation and a, what we might call the Kansas City broadcast uh, uh, accent uh, or uh, pronunciation and, and rhythm and pace. Uh, listen also, however, to others. And uh, those are ways to be concerned about lifelong learning of the public reading of Scripture. The, the, uh, ascription 
and then the introduction to the sermon. Listen to other preachers. Uh, Listen to the older preachers because some appreciation for elocution has fallen out with younger preachers and uh, fads come and go. There were fads I recall in the 60s and 70s that are gone now. But uh, like a good Brooks Brothers suit or tie, uh, they stand the test of time. A good pair of shoes in a much more glorious way. Um, a, uh, the rhythms and movements and uh, speech uh, of, that I would call classical expository preaching stands the test of time. Now you have to do this, of course, without mimicking the preacher. You have to trans translate it into uh, your own voice. I once remember uh, someone who uh, preached uh, some very fine sermons, but they just weren't his. He wrote them, but he had borrowed so much, including uh, affecting or mimicking the, the tone and style and approach of the uh, model minister that it came off as inauthentic. Don't do that, of course. Now, in the introduction, uh, one of the things that you do, you don't want to go to sermon books, uh, excuse me, uh, sermon illustration books. Illustrations are everywhere. For Jesus, they were in nature. Uh, they were in history. For the Apostle Paul, they were in literature, even pagan literature. So one of the most important things that you can do is to read. Read, read, and read again. Read widely. Read with depth. Read the great books. And you can... uh, find libraries of the great books. You can find many of the great books online and use them, read them for free. If you have logos, you can download the great books uh, beginning with uh, the time before Christ and the Greeks and moving all the way to uh, people like John Steinbeck and um, others in our own age. Uh, In fact, I recall I had my son read through the great books over a two-year period, the 11th and 12th grade, because it um, allowed him to um, gain insight on the human condition. And that is your your goal. Remember that the the introduction is you're beginning with the problem of the text, the presenting issue. Uh, It could be a problem, it could be something else, it could be something good. Uh, It's a presenting issue. But whatever it is, it deals with you assessing and diagnosing the human condition. And that is going to require you to read deeply, widely. 
film and other resources are helpful. One area of literature that is quite overlooked today is literature, uh, excuse me, is poetry. For instance, uh, to read Emily Dickinson and to know something of her life, uh, her uh, the diseases that she suffered from, which brought isolation, loneliness, ultimately not being able to go to church. Uh, she was reared in a Calvinistic congregational church in her home uh, near Amherst. Um, and her use of nature, the simple things of nature, to get at complex feelings in her own life. A wonderful example. I mention her. Uh, I'm like the fellow. They said he's only as good as the last book he's read. Well, <laughs> this morning I was reading Emily Dickinson, and I was just amazed at the insight that she brought. Now this helps me, not merely to quote Emily Dickinson, which is not a bad thing to do. But to begin to see through Emily Dickinson's eyes, and that helps me to learn how to illustrate complex things in pathologies of the human soul with simple observations from nature that are universal, understood by all. In exegesis, you want to be able to, again, read, and we're going to provide a reading list for you in the lifelong learning uh, segment of Reimagining Pastoral Education and Training by the DJK Institute at Erskine Seminary. And that's available, will be available for everyone, not just um, Uh, not just Erskine students. We want to make it available. It'll be absolutely free for Erskine students. But um, the exegetical uh, is not only exegeting the scripture, but exegeting the context, the context of your congregation, the context of the times that we are in, uh, the events that are going on in your community, exegeting not only the text itself, but the context of the scriptures, so having a, a larger vision. And to do that is going to require a constant uh, attention to um, to these things. Now, let me pause right here to say that you don't do all of this in one day, do you? Uh, you might not do it all in one year. In fact, my mentor was D. James Kennedy. I did my internship under him at Coal Ridge Presbyterian Church. Dr. Kennedy was the most listened to Reformed and Presbyterian minister in history. 
on not only through a weekly broadcast that went around the world, the Armed Forces Network, in addition to many other venues, but also through Evangelism Explosion. And Dr. Kennedy would say the most difficult sermon he ever had to preach was next Sunday's sermon. <laughs> how right he, how right he was! I have learned. He would take his study leave each year and study a different part of preaching. It might be elocution. In fact, I remember quite plainly he did. He spent time with a drama teacher. I did the same thing with a drama teacher from Yale to study breathing exercises and to study、uh, the use of presence in the pulpit,、um, the careful examination of each. Word and sentence, and particular attention to、uh, segues and transition statements, pauses, and so forth. It was a very helpful time. So you might do that one year, and the next year you do something else. It is, after all, lifelong. <laughs> It's not done in. One or two years. It's work across your life, often driven by what you perceive is most needed.、And、if you have someone who's close to you, generally your your wife,、uh, your children, others who could、uh, help you identify that area that you can where you can improve.、Uh, The same is for the、uh, the homiletical statement. It's very difficult to imagine an effective parish. And again, when I say parish, I I speak of use the word parish、um, to represent、uh, the community, your congregation, but also the community. And very, I very much believe in our parochial theology. Uh, particularly in the pulpit, it's got to ring true in the community, and that means、uh, ministry presence there. So that means taking Richard Baxter's book, The Reformed Pastor, very seriously.、Uh, for me, that was also applied by being uh, with uh, at the downtown Rotary Club, for instance, in Chattanooga, where most of my elders were. The issues, the problems, the opportunities of the community、uh, were often presented there, and I had a front row seat and very much was involved with that. Others、uh, found other ways, but I served the downtown church with many of our city fathers, and it was the right place for me to be. So that is. Also part of the lifelong learning, and that helps to shape the expository statement in the sense that God is saying this to us today. 
the exegetical statement being established, I must move to preach the scriptures to our people. This is no different, of course, than Jonathan Edwards preaching at Northampton. It is no different than Richard Baxter preaching at Kidderminster. Uh, it is no different than Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching in the great world capital of London and his voice ringing out on the Lord's Day during World War II. Well, as you get to the interrogatory, this is in some sense a, an extension of exegesis as you were asking questions about the text. It may be that you study Socratic teaching, which has helped me greatly in forming the interrogatory. I practiced, first practiced uh, Socratic teaching in, in a very um, defined way at the U.S. Army Chaplain Center and School, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I was there for about seven years and was um, the subject matter expert, SME, as the Army calls it, in preaching as well as pastoral care and liturgy. And I uh, went, was certified teacher and and then following that, I went to Harvard to do postdoctoral work in, uh, in higher education teaching. And again, was uh, exposed to the Socratic form, uh, not merely asking the student a question and answering with a question, but knowing the right question that can lead to the truth and to help the student take a pathway to self-discovery. We don't believe in self-discovery in preaching. We believe we must proclaim, but we want them to follow. Uh, and we want them to feel like they're on a journey with us. Not feel like it. They, they, they must be on the journey with us, that the sermon is going somewhere. So a good study of the interrogatory would involve understanding how to form a question, which question to form. And this involves reading and could involve courses or classes <coughs> in, as I say, for instance, uh, Socratic teaching. There are other ways uh, to do that as well, uh, including one of the great books. I, I think I would say at this point that one of the uh, one of the great books that I've uh, great authors that I've learned much from is Walker Percy. Walker Percy was a psychiatrist. Uh, he became sick with um, tuberculosis. He had to leave his practice 
uh, he became friends with my father. When I was a boy, we used to bring strawberries. We'd go pick strawberries in Ponchatoula, Louisiana, and bring them to his home in Covington, because he was such a good friend of my father. I didn't have any idea that I was sitting on the steps, looking at Walker Percy with his corgi as he sat in his、uh, swing on the front porch, and I was in front of one of、uh, history's greatest authors. He is remarkable in his work. He became a Christian, a Roman Catholic, and was quite devout in his faith. Was very、uh, leading voice, intellectual voice in the pro-life movement. And、uh, while I would differ with him on many points,、uh, being a Protestant, I nevertheless respected his devotion to Jesus Christ and his ability to weave the Christian ethos into the life.、Uh, Of his characters and the pages of his book, he's very helpful in studying the diagnosis and treatment of the human soul. When you get to the argument, you might expect reading uh, the uh, testimony or. The transcripts of trial attorney going to a trial, seeing orators at work、uh, is very important. If you think that is、uh, trivial, I would remind you that、uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's lectures to my students, which is a classic in itself. Also included、uh, literal pictograms of the movement of the arms and the hand and the use of、uh, objects in the pulpit and so forth. So Spurgeon,、uh, who is anything but trivial, advocated、uh, the careful study. Of the ministry of presence and the oratorical arts, the homiletical arts and sciences, in the argument. Now, we do so humbly and say with Paul that we did not come with clever uh, words. Uh, he was speaking, of course. Against the backdrop of Greek philosophy,、uh, which was all the rage. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul was masterful in his ability to make an argument, as、uh, with a sort of judo effect, using the、uh, the instruments of. His auditors,、uh, things that they would hold as true, to make his point. He did this, of course, in Acts 17, with the philosophers, as he presented Christ.
over and against the inscription to the unknown god, quoting their own poets. So this also involves books, um, film, classes, study, and could very much take up not only one but two years of study. I remember I dedicated myself about ten years ago to the study of one theologian for an entire year. A theologian that is perhaps the most influential of the 20th century,、uh, however, is not normally、uh, used. His texts are not ordinarily used in evangelical seminaries, and I went to an evangelical seminary, and I'm glad I did. I went through、uh, a doctoral program at a、uh, large university in Great Britain, and became somewhat、uh, acquainted. But I felt I, it was inadequate, so I was able to study this theologian and his works, and others、uh, who wrote about him over a period of a year. I gained much、uh, and gained an appreciation. However,、uh, uh, he, the doors that this theologian knocked on and questioned、uh, about theology,、uh, other lesser mortals walked through those doors foolishly and found themselves in heretical positions, in my estimation. Nevertheless, I want to tell you: don't be afraid to read、uh, outside of your tradition.、Uh, take in、uh, Roman Catholic writers,、uh, Orthodox writers.、Uh, Balthazar, von Balthazar, is his work on the Apostles' Creed. I remember he said something that has stayed with me, and I've used this thought, this which is really、uh, an assessment and diagnosis. <coughs> he said there are some doctrines that you can see, that is understand. But you can never see through them to the other side, and you must learn to live in the tension of that mystery until we move past the darkened glass to the crystal clear vision we will have in glorification. That was Hans von Balthasar, and I commend him to you. Read widely. Read deeply. And in the argument, study the homiletical and oratorical sciences. In each of these areas, by the way, you should probably spend at least half as much time as you would studying in preparing, gathering. The resources. 
This also leads me to say that the work of the pulpit and the parish requires study, and it also requires uh, a time of respite and refuge. Come away, come apart for a while, Jesus said to his disciples. And I've often believed if you do not come apart for a while, you will come apart uh, forever. Uh, that is, your ministry could end in fatigue or burnout, loss of meaning. So come apart and, and ask in your call. It's best to ask at the beginning when you're negotiating your call that you be given time for study as well as family vacation, but that you have at least a week or so, uh, if not two, for study. <clears throat> and it may be that you agree to preach, um, and uh, so it doesn't cost the church anything, or if you're in a smaller church, but that your week will not be given necessarily to parish work, except emergencies and you will focus on study. Those in larger churches, medium-sized churches, should have the opportunity to have a uh, full two weeks uh, minimum and uh, in addition to your family vacation. Uh, and the concept of sabbatical, I believe, is a very good one that in seven years you should get perhaps three months, maybe 14 years that goes to six months, and so forth, depending on the ability of your congregation. But nevertheless, it recognizes the importance of the ministry of the Word, certainly the Bible, the pastoral epistles in particular, underscore this priority of studying, preparing, planning for preaching. And in the conclusion or the closing argument, it is helpful to read. I heard Carl Truman used to be at Westminster Seminary and now at uh, Grove City College, one of the great Christian colleges in the United States, say how much he enjoyed uh, true crime. It was not only a release and a diversion from reading theology, but he began to uh, profit from the court cases, uh, the movements, chapter uh, flow uh, that allowed him to become a uh, visitor in the courtrooms, as it were. I have done that myself over the past several years and have read uh, quite a few true crime books. I do think that uh, you can learn from both the mistakes and the positive attributes that come from the, uh, the trial attorney's work.
Now, one may say you're speaking only of technique, but I'm not. But I am admitting that technique, in the sense of adaptation, in the sense of recognizing the power of literary device, the power of motion, or the ministry of presence, is important.、Uh, important in. Supporting your vital, preeminent call to deliver a word from another world to those before you. So, in summary, my response to your question: How do we set up a lifelong learning plan? Is to use these eight strategies. Begin with the first one and study about scripture reading. Look through、uh, books, and there are a few on scripture reading. I've written some on, and I think there's YouTube, another good source for study.、Uh, YouTube、uh, video of my teaching lay people how to read the scriptures. It may be of help. Uh, but there are some. There's one book in particular that I,、uh, I have found to be very good, and I'll be using、uh, that in our list. I'm very happy to share this with you, and it's a bit of rambling. And I hope again that you'll get a hold of the paper where you can also read through a bibliography and make that a, a starting point for your own. Research. Follow the footnote trail. Ask questions. See where it leads you. And through it all, pray. Pray to the God who has called you to preach. And say, "Woe to me if I preach not the gospel of Christ, for burden is laid upon me to do so." This is Mike Milton for Ministry Minutes, a production of Erskine Theological Seminary and the D. James Kennedy Institute of Reformed Leadership. The Lord bless you and keep you. Thanks for listening to Ministry Minutes with Mike Milton. Learn more about Erskine Theological Seminary at seminary.erskine.edu, or you can learn more about the D. James Kennedy Institute of Reformed Leadership at djkinstitute.org. By the way, from time to time, we put up a. Voice recorder system, so that you can ask your questions or leave comments, and we'll do our best to get back to you. This has been Ministry Minutes with Mike Milton. The Lord bless you and keep you. Bye for now.